The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning and welcome to Mid-South Gardening. So glad to be here with y'all this morning. I'm Beta with Palladio. And I'm Kenneth with Danwest Garden Center. And I'm Jim Crowder, just short, fat gardener. But what a good guy, I'm telling you. Yeah, I am pretty nice. Yeah, we love you to death, yeah. Jim. Well, yeah. can we say it's fall now? Yes. <laughs> how, how do you say it? <laughs> this week. It's fall, y'all. Yeah, it's fall, y'all. <laughs> Finally, it's fall. Yeah, this week. <laughs> this because week. This, this week, is it. <laughs> it's winter. Oh, I was wondering if we were going to go to summer to winter because it was looking like it. You know, and, and it's a little chilly this morning. And, you know, it's been wet the last, mm-hmm. what, two or three days. And it's getting dark in the mornings and it's dark in the afternoon. I know. I, I love it. You know, I, really I, I do, do too. I mean, you know, it's great to have seasons. I mean, people that don't have seasons, you know, they kind of, mm-hmm. they they miss out on all this stuff that we take for granted and hate eventually, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah, you know, I just hate sitting in a cool breeze off the Gulf, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when it's 75 degrees in January. But I'm going to tell you, that'd be terrible. Yeah, I know, yeah. Jim. Gosh, I, know, I, I was looking at the weather this morning and I kept refreshing because I'm thinking the temperature's wrong. Mm. Let me refresh again, and then I realized I was looking at the weather where my son was in Brandon, Florida. <laughs> uh, nice. Yeah, I was thinking, oh, it's going to be sunny later. Eighty-four it's degrees. Get a little 80 warmer. F- yeah. yeah. And then I said, oh, let me go back to Memphis. So Memphis is more like it. I do like the change of season, even though we're complaining that it's not really fall. It's going to winter, but it's fall. Yeah, and yeah. you know, and we, we usually have a. I mean, so far the fall's been beautiful mm-hmm. if you think about it. Yeah, it was a little dry before we got these rains in. In fact, last week, and I was making a comment to Jim, we were up here last Saturday, and Jim made the comment that it's supposed to rain this time last Sunday night. And I'm like, I don't see it anywhere on my phone where mm-hmm. it's supposed to rain Sunday night. Where do you get this information? So I went home Saturday and cut the grass and weeded it and edged and trimmed yeah. and cleaned, I mean, all day long. And then the last thing I did was really soak mm-hmm. uh, all of my plants because they were dry. I mean, right. it was dry if you, if you remember back a week ago. Well, sure enough, here comes Sunday night and it just rained. It's, you know, <laughs> cats and dogs. I'm like, next time I won't, uh, you know, judge what Jim tells well, me about the weather. Yeah. Well, you watering just allowed the rain to penetrate the it soil did. more. It quicker, it. quicker. Good. Yeah. So it's all good that we're getting all this rain because uh, anything we're planting now... Oh, it's yeah. going to appreciate it. And plus, you know, last Saturday was also the day that I made the decision. I, mm-hmm. You know, I said something to my wife. Well, she made the decision mm-hmm. that all the annual color from that I planted in the spring, it had to come up. And even though it looked wow, great, yes. I'm telling you, it, mm-hmm. it really did. I was just knowing, you know, if I just don't do it now, I'm going to run out of time. You know, get busy, and then I'm a, it's, it'll be mush before I try to mm-hmm. get it up. Yeah, because you know? it's time. You just need to do it. Well, yeah, because it's going to freeze this weekend. It'll really be mushy. Don't I mean, next weekend, sort of. Freeze? Yeah. yeah it's going to be dangerously close. Looks like Saturday night we're going to be knocking around 32. Now, it's <laughs> no. maybe as high as 34, but it's going to be crystal clear, and that just almost guarantees a hard frost. Uh, and at 32, we're looking at a freeze. So, uh, you know. I'm going to have to go back to my weather app and take a look at you, you know, just to 
Well, now, how good was it last time? It was perfect. (laughs) So now, all right, so our frost date is usually around the mid-November. Well, typically it falls between October 31st and November 15th. Which is, yeah, and usually we're all the way down to November. All right, so what does that mean for us? So I'm glad I did go ahead and get that annual color up there. Right, yeah. You know, I'll spend this week doing things like trimming the leaves off the bananas. You know, the stuff that turns mushy. Mm-hmm. Um, like begonias. Yeah, the alocasias, cut the foliage off of those. Um, you know, because it's just it's so much easier to cut when it's not yeah. mushy. And now it's you not s- stinky yeah. either, because that's some stinky stuff, <laughs> mushy plants. And you said cut the leaves off the ba- yeah, well, ba- well, banana. I, not- have, I have bajou bananas, and uh, every winter, except last winter, yeah. uh, all I do is trim the leaves off, leave the stems up six, eight feet tall. And they winter just fine. They'll come right back out. And so when most people are just beginning to get a little foliage, mine are in full foliage. Uh, so, you know, it does good. So that's all I do is just take the leaves off. Now, you could go in there and cut the whole thing well, down, you, could. you know, 12 and, inches off the ground. Which, you know, that's a little low. Or, or say two feet off the ground. Yeah. Uh-huh. The, the pseudo stem typically goes up to 30, 36 inches okay. or so inside the, the center there. You could cut them off flush of the ground, and like the freeze did that last year for mm-hmm. me, but they mm-hmm. came back with a vengeance. You know, I got mm-hmm. two or three off of every one that I had, so I've got a really thick batch this year. Um, and I'll think normally during the spring when they start up, I'll cut some of the pups out so that it just doesn't get so thick inside right. there. Right, right, because those little bublets down there start yep. to come up everywhere. Yep. So, but yeah, I don't just leave leave the stems up and they'll be fine most, most winters. Mm-hmm. So, so I do have a hardy banana in the corner of my backyard, oh, and do? I really yeah. don't pay a whole lot of attention to it because it's not an area that I go a lot. But it's beautiful back there. I mean, it's mm-hmm. full and lush, mm-hmm. big leaves and everything. Uh, but you're right. I always wait too late, and after our hard frost or our too hard frost, the thing is just brown and mushy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I'm out there cutting this thing back. And it takes it, a saw to do it yeah, when they're stringy like that. Yeah, it does. Okay, so just get out there and cut the leaves off, Jim, and just leave the stalks. Just leave them. Let yep. them be. And mm-hmm. then next spring, if I know to, need to go in there and cut back a little bit and clean up a little bit, I can do it then. Yeah. And a lot of times I'll get we'll get a warm spell in December and I'll mm-hmm. get six or eight inches of growth try to come out the top. Yeah. But then some cold temperature will stop yeah. and, and but they'll be fine. So <laughs> those poor banana trees wearing themselves out trying to grow. That's right. <laughs> because of our weather in mid in the mid south, yeah. up and they're, down, up and they're down. They're root hardy probably as far as zone three. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and stem hardy probably till five. Okay, so like we're talking about banana trees, but these are just a the certain hardy, variety bashing, that works it here. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Most of the other ones, uh, if you if you want to leave them in the ground, you're going to have to put substantial amount of leaves or mulch on top of the stem, mm-hmm. and we're talking eighteen inches, mm-hmm. twenty four inches. Uh, put a fence around it and just pile it on there, and For most insula- winters they'll be fine. For insulation, yeah. yeah. But like last year, I recall. On this banana, which is a hardy banana. And it started out with just a little bulb that I planted back there that someone gave my wife. Um, last year, Jim and, and Veda, I know that the big part of the bulb must have rotted. Well, did. Because I did. From I zero got a, degrees. Yeah, because I got a lot of growth from around where that main, you know, yeah. stalk used to be. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so, so the main one rotted, but the ones that had uh, grown off of that yes. one did not. Yeah. yeah, I guess because they were smaller and maybe not as deep. Well, and or, they don't catch water in them like the the, the center of the trunk oh, does. Gotcha. You know, gotcha. which can be a problem. Mm-hmm. In fact, I've thought about cutting the tops off, cutting the leaves off, and taking a plastic bag and putting over the top. The top. But, you know, it looked like a bunch of um, <laughs> bread wrappers out there. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Look, look, look a little bit weird, you know. So, um, uh, well, good. I, All right, well, I'll just, if they freeze the ground, we'll just let that happen. Well, but, you know, it's always been the dilemma for a lot of people not to pull up their annual color like I did last Saturday that we planted in the spring in preparation for pansies, violas, whatever. Well, their mind is being made up now, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. So um, if you hadn't got your pansies in the ground, violas, uh, your cool weather, you know, color, uh, this is a perfect weekend to right. get it done. And yeah. as time progresses, we're out of pansies. You know, as time moves on, usually, or you have a little bit but after uh, the middle of November, usually you're trying to be out of almost all of them by Christmas. But a lot of times if you're in your head wanting to go look for certain colors, you may be out oh, yeah. on those. We may be out. But it's best just to start get even if you're not going to plant them today, maybe yeah. go ahead and, and get them. Yeah, no doubt. And, and you know, eventually, you know, bulbs are kind of the same way. You know, a lot of people, you know, plant their bulbs, their tulips and all that kind of stuff, usually around Thanksgiving. Soil temperatures are usually, mm-hmm. usually cool enough then. They're going to stay cool. But like you said, Veda, if you wait till after Thanksgiving to come in there and find the particular bulbs that you're looking for, a lot of times they're gone by then. So a lot of people, they'll get them now and just store them in a cool, dry place until it's time to plant them. If you're going to do paper whites and have them smelling good by Thanksgiving, you better start now. Yeah. Because it takes about four to six weeks, maybe more on the six-week side. But if you want them to hurry up, uh, put them in a warmer location mm-hmm. to get them to grow quicker. So uh, you'll have them blooming by Thanksgiving. Yeah, and then, of course, Christmas is another big time. You mm-hmm. want things to bloom. And I wrote down uh, forcing bulbs. We'll talk about that later on, amaryllis and yeah. paper whites, and then what you have to do to get the other ones to bloom if you uh-huh. wanted them to bloom. So. And then how they have them all dressed up for Christmas, too, now. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, it's happening. You know, we're having people like, that's the thing is a lot of our bulbs that we get in early like amaryllis and things like that and usually people are waiting more closer to christmas now they're getting them immediately mm-hmm. but we've got to go to a break and y'all can give us a call at 844-747-8868 call with your garden questions now 844-747-8868 you're listening to mid-south gardening Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 844-747-8868 or locally, 901-260-5926. We're on Facebook Live. I'm looking at Facebook right now, guys, trying to get this thing set up. And um, we're talking about cooler temperatures coming in latter part of the week. Uh, what about houseplants? I mean, in tropicals. And I don't want to even bring mine in yet. Because I know you used to have a ton of houseplants on your balcony. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I kind of... I've already switched out, got the houseplants, um, 
gone. Oh, I kind of yeah. gave some away so I don't have to have them all in the house. Not a lot of room for that. And started putting in some lavender. And um, yeah, I got to have some lavender yeah. and some rosemary. And of course, we've got the some of the pansies. And then I have that fall container with the peppers and the kazanias. And so I think I'm going to either bring that container in because I don't want the peppers to get bit, mm. you know, because I just, I just don't want them to look bad. Or the gazanias, I want them to keep blooming. So I might bring that one container in because, you know, after we have this freeze, it's going to be nice again. Well, potential in, freeze. In I'm term, just still in yeah. denial about a freeze. Right, right. So, yeah, but, potential. But for people that do have houseplants outdoors, a lot of people do take them outside in the spring and just bring mm-hmm. them back in. So, I mean, I guess this is the week to go ahead and, um, you know, wash them down, clean them up as best you can. Uh, maybe even give them a good spray in with some neem oil or hort oil or, you know, just a, a benign generic insecticide before you bring them in. Uh, there's even some insecticidal granules right. uh, that you can sprinkle in the soil uh, before you bring them in. But uh, I guess this is the week uh, that you want to go ahead and try to get them indoors before, you know, I mean, even if it doesn't freeze, 34 degrees is not going to be good for a house plant. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's not. For, for maybe... You know, I'm thinking like in the area that we have houseplants at work, they're in a sheltered area. And then we might get down to freezing just for a few minutes. But I still don't think that's going to be enough. Well, it probably wouldn't probably wouldn't hurt them if you know if the walls are warm mm-hmm. from the day and that sort of thing. Probably would survive if it's only there for a little while. Yeah, you know, and you're not going to get a frost under any kind of cover, right? Even even a deciduous, I mean, a tree, you're not going to frost under it. So you're you're protected unless it gets to 32 degrees. So. You know, I, I would be, I would, I'm bringing mine yeah, in. Yeah, right, put it down. right. It's, Today. That's true, yeah. because when you're dealing with weather and there's that possibility coming up, you just may as well do it. Yeah. Because, you know, And this is the first well. year that I can ever remember where I've actually planned ahead. Did you? Man, <laughs> <laughs> what does that ever. feel like? <laughs> I know, you know, usually I'm out there freezing my little honey off yeah. and <laughs> trying to get the plants and drag them in too, too many before the frost, you know, but get a you know a nice pair of scissors and you know and clean them up as best mm-hmm. you can. Anything that's yellow and brown. Do you own pruners? Yeah, so oh, you're yeah. always using the scissors. Well, our pruners, you know, I mean, but there are some really good heavy duty gardener scissors also yeah. uh, that you can kind of get in there. Uh, you know, they're not as bulky as pruners. Uh, but, yeah, get get those things cleaned up, uh, get them uh, sprayed down for insects, and uh, go ahead and get them back in, inside. Uh, and then tropicals. You know, sometimes I wonder, is it worth bringing tropicals indoors? Well, probably not. Yeah, really. unless it's something unusual. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, I'm talking about like a hibiscus or, you know, something just plain. Now, that we... you know what I would do, actually, because I do have a hibiscus outside that still looks good and has yeah. flower buds on it. I would, I'm going to actually bring that in and enjoy it as long as oh, yeah. I can. And, which... and it'll look good through Christmas probably, mm-hmm. you know, flower. Yeah. And, and then, then it starts dropping leaves. Right, and then know. after that I'm forgetting about and, it. Well, and yeah. then you take it back outside in the spring, and it seems like it takes so much longer does, for them to yeah. flush back out and start blooming right. than the mm-hmm. one you just go pick up at the garden center, you know. Right, you know, it's it's August before they really look yeah. nice right. again. Right. So, yeah, How's that lantana? The lantana, I remember that it would die down but it take took a long time to come back up and bloom but there there's a couple now that don't have that issue right 
the, some of the lantanas die down, but then they start coming up again. Well, quickly. there there are several that are root hardy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean the stems are killed. Yeah, uh, you know, and the experts say that you shouldn't remove the tops because right. mm-hmm. the stem is hollow and it'll get water in there and you know but i usually cut mine off yeah and then if i'm concerned about it there's always a plastic bag garbage bag i just cut a piece of plastic you know mm-hmm. about six inch square lay it across top cover with mulch and i'm not worried about the water right anymore. yeah mm-hmm. yeah you know? that so. works easily and then i have a place that i worked before that had a whole row of lantanas and we just cut them back and didn't even mulch or think about it and they came back like crazy the next year of course we didn't have a hard winter you're right but mm-hmm. still if the winter was hard i'm sure i would have went out and remulched or, or piled it up over it but to me it's one of those tender perennials i mean in, in the memphis area uh, talking about lantana mm-hmm. you know if you uh, instead of pulling them up if you just cut them back i mean do they have a chance of coming back yeah depending on the winter like you just said uh, and also depending on the variety. But it's one of those things that you can't count on right. to come back. Because yeah. people ask that question all the time, are these perennials? Well, further south they are. But this far north, when I say this far north, uh, in the Mid-South area, the Memphis area, you can't really consider any lantana a true perennial. Yeah, this past winter killed my pink mishuff, which normally comes back. That's the one I was yeah. going to ask about. Uh, regular yeah. mishuff. Um uh, ham and eggs, uh, Chapel Hill gold, those are fairly dependable at coming back mm-hmm. here if they're mulched properly. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I say, last winter, d- they just wouldn't take it. Even protected mm-hmm. with snow, they uh, they got zapped. So. Yeah. Wow, it's amazing what we can grow, and then what we can. Well, actually, we can grow so much, but it's our dipping of temperatures. That gets us, and then the temperatures go right back up. So, I'm um, think uh, this has happened to me a number of times. Everything looks fantastically beautiful, and then it um, freezes. Everything's damaged, but then the next day it's beautiful again. Yeah. And you would think, gosh, if I just didn't have those three hours of that freeze, I could get another two weeks out of these well, plants. You know, and, and, and look at the hydrangeas, for example. You know, the, the big leaf, macrophilia, mm-hmm. uh, pinks and blue hydrangeas. You know, it's hard to grow those around here. It's not hard to grow them. Mm-hmm. It's just hard sometimes to get them to bloom. Two years ago, back in November, yeah. we had those two nights and every hydrangea out there was zapped. All the blooming tissue was. Mm-hmm. Last year, the same thing would have happened, but we had the ice and snow as an insulator because it got just as cold and stayed cold longer. Remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah, but the blooming tissue is not going to die back on just a freeze that we might have coming up. It, it took some hard freezes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, to, to, to knock back or knock off the blooms off of the hydrangeas. But we're going to run to a break, so we'll be right back. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 844-747-8868. And the local number, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926. Well, the big story so far this morning, y'all, has been cooler temperatures coming in the latter part of next week. 
trying to get everything prepared, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's your house plants, get those inside, whether it's your your old annual color, you know, that's been looking beautiful, uh, and it still does, but it won't, you know, a week or 10 days from now if we do get a few hard frost in yeah. here. Our coleus, our basil mm-hmm. will crush. Um, and, of course, we said the begonias, impatience. Well, no, they're yeah, going to be. They're, they're pretty much going to be out. So basically anything you planted <laughs> in for summer annuals is going to be gone. But it's time for a change anyway. Yeah, the what beautiful. What color of pansies did y'all plant? I hadn't planted anything what yet. What are you going? What theme are you going with? Whatever Gina wants to go with. Oh, okay. I haven't I haven't <laughs> okay. asked her yet. I've you, learned. You, yeah. <laughs> Brutally honest. Isn't it? Yes, yeah, I am. Right. And hopefully it's the colors that are still available. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we actually got in three or four hundred more flats uh, just the other day. I mean, so we're in great shape mm-hmm. when it comes to violas and pansies. Uh, of course, it won't last long. I mean, people right. are gobbling them up. Yeah. But uh, yeah, because it's probably going to be this week. Yeah. Oh you know, yeah. Everybody's like, it's time. If you don't get them in the ground, get them. And I'm, I like using the four inch, the larger ones now. No doubt about right it. Right now, because they'll establish better. Um, they'll be bigger and better next spring, too. Because, you know, if we had a. But there, it was so hard because six packs are less expensive, but they're smaller and have smaller root balls. And it seems like they just never Mm-mm. do what I want them to in the spring. But if you plant the six packs earlier, they would do great. But if you plant the six packs earlier, they'll do horrible. (laughs) (laughs) Because the earlier they're in, the warmer it is. Yeah, the better they look in the spring. Right? I like it. Yeah, the longer, if you can put them in early, then they'll do better in the spring. But if we put them in early, it's still Hot. I like the uh, the four inch for sure. Yeah, you, know, you get a bigger yeah. root system. Uh, it, like I said, they cost a little more per plant, but to me, they're so much more worth it. Mm-hmm. And that's true on the and the pansies and the violas. And and then I've gotten to where I like both of those. You know, I used to, uh, you know, years past, just only plant the bigger blooming pansies. Well, I'm beginning to like the smaller blooming violas also for all yeah. their, you know, their little attributes that they have. Yes, I have to have both. Just have to have both. You know, <laughs> bless your own doing any of those because all the snapdragons I planted last fall, uh-huh. I thinned them out this spring for annual color, and they're all coming back big time and blooming. Oh, man. So That's, you know, you're gonna love that. I'm jealous. These are gonna be really nice snapdragons yes. next spring. I mean, they're gonna be huge. Oh, I mean, they were nice wow. this year, but because they'll they be fabulous. Because they made them through that one degree. They did. That's they what... went through that, and they've been through the summer, and they're flushing now and starting to bloom, and they look great. And how'd you get them through the summer, though, Jim? They just, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm talking to them nicely. You, it's your <laughs> soil prep, too. Yeah. I mean, think about it. They're because... in soil that drains extremely well. Yeah. Um, mm. It's got a, a good bit of sand in it, and it's an elevated bed, just so mm-hmm. I can do that without... Um, and actually get some drainage from the sand, uh, but it's they've they've come through really well. I've got both dwarf and the tall and ones. the tall ones that mm-hmm. are starting to bloom again. So. Uh, do you have snapdragons, Kenneth? I'm we out. did. We're yeah. out. I You're mean, out well, too. we might have a few, but we're more or less we out. It's mostly pansies and violas mm-hmm. now. Well, I love the snapdragons, and um, you know, Dusty Miller's a good thing to plant because it's going to be there. So just give you another texture and color. You can plant. mix it with mm-hmm. your pansies. I like them in container gardens a lot. I don't like that row. So I see a lot of people plant one straight mm. row. 
and then put a, a row of pansies in front of that. For some reason, the Dusty Miller doesn't look right that way. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, but uh, I like the Dusty Miller in containers and maybe oh, uh, clumps of it in different areas in your landscape because of the silver, and you can see it at night under the moonlight. Yeah, and then we all know that, uh, you know, to me, you know, and I've had a couple people say something to me this week about this. So there's something out there. Of course, uh, tomorrow being Halloween, right? <clears throat> and we associate Halloween with a lot of pumpkins, right? Yeah. And they were saying that instead of throwing these pumpkins uh, away, which, mm-hmm. you know, most people do, um, either they're going to put the pumpkins in the compost pile or they're going to dig them, <clears throat> excuse me, they're going to bury them and, and put them in their beds. And I'm yeah. like, hold on, back up, tell me that again. She said, yeah, we're going to cut up in smaller pieces and, and dig a little hole and plant these in, in our flower beds. Uh, because, it, you know, and I did a little research last night. It's Worms love it, okay? Mm-hmm. They absolutely love pieces of pumpkin. <laughs> so just a little shout-out out there for anybody that has a pumpkin, which is everybody. Uh, after Halloween's, you know, gone, you know, make sure all the seeds are out. Cut that thing up into smaller pieces. You don't even have to do that. You can plant the whole pumpkin if mm-hmm. you want. Removing the seeds is critical. Yes, yes but I was going to ask, has that been mentioned? <laughs> or you will have a pumpkin patch out there in, in right. your front beds or back beds, wherever you put it. But I think it's pretty neat that it, that's a great way to recycle these pumpkins. Uh, either, Like I said, either in the compost pile, there again, make sure mm-hmm. all the seeds are gone, or bury the pieces, uh, you know, wherever in your beds because... I, and I read about it last night because I was like, mm, do worms really love these things? And they do. They do, yes. So, you know, you're talking about some good worm food. If those, you have a tortoise, they love them too. So. Well, there you go. Yeah. So pumpkin pie for worms as well. Yes. Okay. Well, I like that idea. I like that a lot because there's a good way to recycle your pumpkin unless the kids help you recycle and pick it up and throw it. Well, and, and that's what I... live on the street, you I, know. And I was thinking last night, you know, how a lot of people will make their rounds picking up the bags of leaves mm-hmm. that we rake up and put in a bag and put them on the curb, right? So yeah. people drive around thinking these things are gold, which they are. They'll take them home, grind them up, and use them as, as compost. Well, you can see people making their rounds now, taking pumpkins. pumpkins. And people, like some people keep their pumpkins on their porches for quite a while, Mm -hmm. even after Halloween. So I can see these sweet little old ladies or guys out there grabbing these pumpkins and getting run out of people's yards. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, what are you doing with my pumpkin, right? Filling my compost pile. Yeah, exactly. That's all they want to do with it. Well, I don't know. I'm thinking, you know how much I love the organic matter and the earthworms, and I want to do great for that. After I've carved a pumpkin, I think I'm going to be tired of cutting pumpkins and not want to cut them up into little pieces. Oh, and that's the easy them. part. When I say little pieces, I mean cut it up like in fourths. Yeah. You know, and just, just and all you do is just barely, just barely cover the thing up. Mm-hmm. Um, and but then the next night, the raccoon I was going to ask, yeah, do it, raccoons like pumpkins yes, too? They, they are, the critters yeah. do, but, um, <laughs> yeah, but, it's, but it's, it is yeah, good, no, I good think worm it's a great food. Idea. Or, you know, when you're just prepping your beds and stuff, just throw some pieces in there. I mean, go ahead and put your lettuce in there and your tomatoes. And, you Let's know. see, she's going, going overboard again, Jim. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can bring this program back into reality. Here. Oh, we're talking about <laughs> compost. <laughs> Good compost. <laughs> but, back I mean, to reality. What, what is reality in Jim's world? <laughs> uh, if I need compost, I just go buy it. Just go buy it, right? <laughs> yeah, you do. Simple. Did you say you do have a little compost pile? Well, in the I corner? don't, but I'm I'm thinking about. I have a a, a, a huge circular. Uh, well, it was my it, it was a home for my 
blue iguana. Okay, it's clear. It's got a door on the back, and I'm thinking about converting this thing into a compost bin where I can actually take pictures of what's going on beneath there with worms and that sort of thing. Pretty cool. Yeah, and so you know. Well, I'm assuming the iguana's gone. Yeah, the iguana's gone. He's composting him too. So, um, (laughs) but yeah, I'm thinking. uh, I'm thinking about converting this thing into a small one. I bought a just this past week. one of these uh, small electric uh, chipper shredders, mm-hmm. you know, it'll take up to about a two-inch limb yeah. uh, nice. and chop up leaves. And so I'm going to start adding those to the top. Mm-hmm. You know, when I built the elevated beds, I wanted something that the soil that drained really good out front in full sun because I'm growing some a whale tongue agave out there yeah. and some things that really need perfect drainage. But then in the back, I used the same mix, but then added some uh, some of the Botanic Garden mix to it. A mm-hmm. um, little, little heavier. A little yeah. heavier, but still drains well for the euchre and, and that sort of thing. So, um, But it, it needs to have stuff added to it, and that's yeah. what the plan is now to start adding this uh, really fine chopped up leaves to that and start building a... Uh, long term and that's the other thing you know with leaves starting to come down and they'll all be coming down before too too long you know i used to get out there and and just kill myself raking all these leaves up uh, and just you know get every one of them up and getting them in the bag and putting a bag on the curb like i was talking about well now honestly i just get a lawnmower my mulchy mower and i just run it over them Mm -hmm. and just grind them up and they you know i mean i'm thinking why why did i used to rake these things right i've seen people mow you know different directions back and forth getting chopped up to stay into the to the lawn to break down to give it fertilizer Mm -hmm. Uh, i love i liked having my compost pile because when i had to take all the wonderful color out of the flower beds i would throw it in the compost pile and Kind of, it made me feel a little bit better about reusing something instead instead of just throwing these beautiful things in a trash bag and putting them on the curb. And of course, you reap the benefits later because you put that because you have to have green and brown mm-hmm. in your compost pile to make it all work together. So I would I would put the stuff from my water garden in there, like the water hyacinths <clears throat> and the water lettuce. Uh, I'm thinking of fall, of course, the leaves, yeah. and then um, <clears throat> all the annuals that I pulled up, I would put in the compost pile. Also, me and my son, when he was like maybe eight or so, we learned the whole composting thing. He would be excited to, to take the eggshells and the coffee grounds and all the leftover kitchen stuff and go put that in the compost pile, even though maybe it doesn't didn't do, do the whole thing. <laughs> Talk about the eggshells. Yeah, just adds more dirt and you know it just teaches somebody to do something well sure it gets the hands dirty but also even the leaves that you put in your compost pile you don't have to grind them up Mm -hmm. eventually they're going to compost down but even if you grind those up before you put them in the compost pile uh, they do break down a lot faster so i mean i just i like the idea of grinding Mm -hmm. up those leaves instead of using just the whole leaves you know what i'm saying oh i had beautiful compost and it did it got three eggs a day my compost did three (laughs) eggshells a day but also jim you were saying that in your yard you know you've got raised beds in the front and the back and you've got different types of soil in the front and the back because of what you're growing so are you careful not to add compost to the front bed where you have more of a sandy loam uh, because of the agave and all this stuff you're trying to 
well, to grow. Because I mean, we're looking at a, a garden that's just a little over a year old, Yeah, uh, I'm not as concerned. I'm going to add that to it. Okay, to now, both, to all your beds. Right. Okay. Now, long term, uh, you know, I may back off of that. Uh, but right now, I think it can use it. Of course, it's it's growing beautifully. I don't know if you saw pictures of my candlestick trees, but mm, they're I saw humongous. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and it all have, starts with that soil. I'm I honestly you, didn't yeah. know they could get that big here in Memphis. Well, they don't normally because you know if you plant mm-hmm. a young one in the spring, it just starts to bloom when we get a frost. Right, right. But uh, a friend, a lady who is the the head of the Hydrangea Society, gave me two that were straggly three foot one gallon plants. They had a few leaves at the top. She said, you want these? And I said, sure. So Uh I nursed them through the winter, and in the spring cut them back up to about six inches tall, and they just went bonkers in this summer. Ah, that's how they've gotten that large. Okay, well, let's head to a break. Y'all can call us 844-747-8868. You're listening to Mid-South Gardening. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 844-747-8868. And we have David calling from California. Good morning, David. Welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Hey, morning. Uh, yeah, is it, did the dawn work okay? The dawn? Did that work okay? Well, yeah, it's still dark out here. I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> nervous. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's right, because Dave's out there on the West Coast. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm thinking he was talking about dawn dishwashing liquid. You mean dawn. Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah what I, I heard you talking about composting, so I was just thinking of, uh, you know, out here they really recommend that you don't toss citrus. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, we yeah. have a lot of oranges and, and, and grapefruit and things like that mm-hmm. out here. And uh, they always talk about not really mixing it. Do you have the same problem with uh, pine needles and, uh, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it, conifers? Yeah, I don't, I've never put in pine needles, put pine needles in a compost pile because it seems to take longer to, to break, break down. down. I yeah. mean, that's, that's one of the attributes of people using pine needles around here, Dave, is that it does take a long time uh, for that particular type of, as we say, mulch to break down. Uh, you, you, Jim. I mean, unless you grind them up. Yeah, I would want to grind them up, but yeah, I think it's fine to use them. You know, and turn them fairly frequently. You know, one of the things every anybody has a compost pile ought to invest in one of those compost tools that you can push down through there. It flares open, right. and then you can pull it up through it and just turn the stuff. Um, so, you know, I have no problem putting them in there. Uh, but I think if I had pine needles, I'd just use them straight as a mulch versus putting them in compost. And, and speaking of other conifers, David, um, you know, we, of course, use a lot of uh, pre-lit, I mean, not pre-lit, but we use a lot of uh, conifers as Christmas trees, of course. Most of them are Fraser firs around here. <laughs> well, but at the, at the end of the season, after the Christmas season, a lot of people take their Fraser firs out to a particular place. They mm-hmm. have this huge pile of them, and they grind them up. And then later on, they give away the byproduct of these conifers Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's completely wonderful compost but it but they do grind it up before they uh they're not just letting them break down naturally Mm -hmm. as a whole tree in other words so yeah it's not a problem here 
using conifers or conifer byproducts to to create compost. And they'll have sure. little impact on your pH, very little. Well, y'all, y'all can't use citrus, or it's recommended not to use citrus because of the because citrus oils used for insecticides and things like that. Is that the same principle where it's going to hurt your earthworms? Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if it was the pesticide so much as I think the, the it became too acidic, and the earthworms, yeah, whether mm-hmm. it hurt them or they just didn't want to eat right. it or mess with it, they just and, left. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and you know it. I, I'm originally from over in Missouri, where like yeah. the Ozarks, where there's very little topsoil over yeah. there, and you're begging to get some topsoil in there. And so we were tossing all sorts of stuff, and you know we'd have measured success, I guess you'd call it, uh, because it, it uh, <clears throat> you know, I guess we weren't we weren't scientific enough, mm-hmm. uh, you know, about what we were tossing in the compost, and uh, it seemed like spreading it out might have helped. Uh, yeah. You know, birds chipping at it, uh, you know, and they'd mix some little guano in there, and mm-hmm. uh, that would make it a little more appetizing for the other, uh, for the earthworms. But, uh, yeah, no, I just wondered about that, because you, you're not, I'm trying to remember if you're on the same strata or whatnot with uh, the Ozarks. If we're in the same zone as the Ozarks. Well, it's, yeah. in other words, like... Um, no, our soil is totally different. Yeah, where we are here. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, there's. Are you more like bottomlands? Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. We we are yeah. the bottom. <laughs> yeah. All right. We got heavy clay. You know, ball cypress does great in our yard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So no, it our soil. What the main problem with our soil here is the slow uh, percolation rate. It just holds water and moves through it very, very slowly. And a lot of things that we want to plant here, like dogwoods and things, Azaleas they and... don't like that. They're used to having more oxygen around their roots. So we uh, we quite often kill them with love. Well, we need to run to a break real quick. So, David, if you want to hang on, if we haven't gotten all your questions, we'll get you in a few minutes. And we're going to be back after all these messages. garden help you need now mid-south gardening powered by palladio home and garden with your hosts veda vance kenneth mabry and jim crowder good morning welcome back to mid-south gardening i am veda with palladio and i'm kenneth mabry with dan west garden centers i'm the other guy <laughs> mr jim crowder with um got a Retired great gardener recliner gardener and uh Facebook administrator of his Facebook page that now has 7,000 followers. It's unbelievable. Thank you very yes. much. And You're I know, welcome. Uh, and Jerry had to, he was on for about eight or nine minutes and he dropped off. But Jerry, if you can give us a call back, 901 260 Did you see his question, Jerry's question? It, just, it was about Isaiah's. I'm not sure what the oh, question okay. was yet. Okay. But uh, David, you still there? Oh, sure am. Yeah. Appreciate you hanging on, David. Yes, sir. Oh, no problem. Yeah. I, you know, I, and uh, just a reminder, uh, I guess a few weeks ago I called uh, about the t- uh, Great Reef. Yes. Yep. Or, yeah. Yeah, or, yeah the, or, excuse me, Great Raft. 
uh, that big old log jam. Yes. Yes. River. Yes. I don't know if you all had a chance to uh, uh, to study up on it. I actually did look at I it. I did. Quickly. It, it, it was yeah. on. The, it actually was on. Was it the Arkansas River? It was mm-hmm. not on the Mississippi. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. it was everywhere. It, it, yeah. According True. to this uh, this book, it was it had to do with the invention of the steam engine, and right after uh, Fulton invented the steam engine, one of the first uh, practical uses that they put to it was to bust through the log jam that yeah. was not only uh, up the Mississippi as far as Memphis, but it was uh, all along the, the uh, Gulf Shore. So it, it, it extended dozens of miles offshore uh, from Texas all the way over to Alabama. And so, you know, there was basically no trade until uh, the steam engine busted its mm-hmm. way through the, that's, that mess. That's a, big, that's a big log jam. Yeah, yeah. can you imagine that's your reason that you couldn't get goods and all of that because of a log jam? Good Lord. <laughs> yeah. Now it doesn't take that. We, we can't get things and everything's clear. Yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> we have our own log jam. Yeah. Oh, I know. Well, <laughs> and, and so I, I tied to that was the topsoil loss. You know, America has been losing all of this topsoil. Yeah. Once they bust it through, yeah. you know, it makes the floods faster, and uh, or it makes the river run faster, and uh, floods just carry all that soil right out into the Gulf of Mexico. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, just wondering if you'd had any chance to... Uh, you know, discuss that further. You know, and you were making the comment, Dave, how they ought to do, you know, like stair steps or something somewhere yeah. on the Mississippi River before it gets down to the Gulf to capture all this wonderful stuff that's just flowing right from our heartland, right? That's right. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, and, you know, that would be like a big undertaking, a Corps of Engineer, I mean, big undertaking. And, I, and I'm with you. I mean, David, you can't be the only one that has thought about mm-hmm. that. I mean, you know, people lose land uh, you know if you're up against the mississippi river every year and of course right. we know how the delta with all the sedimentation down there how that soil is so fertile down there yeah. so it's nothing it's not a secret by any means but no but a lot of the like over in arkansas right here at memphis they depend on that flooding mm-hmm. every year to replace our top that's soil. what i was gonna say so right. some people lose it, it some people yeah. gain it right <clears throat> so. sure well i was just thinking of that because uh, you know the east coast right now is getting slammed by another uh, they, they call it a nor'easter but you just imagine you know how much topsoil's being washed mm-hmm. off in new jersey yeah. and, uh you know the upper uh, northeast so mm-hmm. uh, yeah just i i sure would like to see topsoil uh as you know, considered a part of the infrastructure. Well, they are starting to and study more into the um, barriers that we put between soil and water, whether it's a lake, a, a stream, or whatever. We're creating barriers to keep the soil erosion down. They're planting trees and shrubs and ground covers. So this is something that's working into the future. We're understanding that is an issue. I think it's just a slow process, and a lot of times a good process is never mentioned either. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go figure. Yeah. Well, yeah, appreciate discussing it. It, it, uh, you know, it's it's one thing to be building their topsoil in a small way, but capturing it—that's mm-hmm. that's the, the, the key. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Good point there, Mr. David. Well, thank hey, you. Well, yeah, uh, enjoy. Uh, yeah. Greetings from California, and still no sign of that dawn. no that's early thank you david appreciate the call it was so funny because we were looking at the time that he that it was in california this 457 and kenneth's like that's so early i'm never up at that time 
Yeah, like, I guess no, I was this but, morning. Yeah, you know? what time do you get up to get here on the show on time? And you go, oh, I was up at 457. Well, but back to the soil erosion. The, and Jerry, hang on one second. But we do appreciate um, yeah, him calling all the way from California. And like I said, but he used to be somewhat of a native here, lived here in, in Missouri. Uh, but the, the soil is a little different. Even, you know, in the, uh, the Ozark area, the, the Smoky Mountain area, I mean, we are blessed with clay soil. That's what Jim always says. Yes. And, and it's hard to say that out loud, yeah. but we are blessed with but clay But it's easy to soil. amend. Yeah. I think I interrupted you earlier. We were talking about the. No, we'll get into that. Let's take his phone call and we'll talk a All little right. bit more. Jerry. About it. Good morning, Jerry. Thanks for giving us a call. Good morning. Hey, Jerry. Appreciate you hanging on, buddy. Yeah, these nice, fancy radios and these vehicles that Bluetooth. Yes, oh, sir. Yeah. <laughs> It takes forever to figure it out, but when you do, it's great. <laughs> I had it on Bluetooth the truck from yesterday, so I started it, come in the house, and on my phone, there was nothing. Hmm. Oh, crap. <laughs> it took me, I had to do some finagling to get it shut off. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. But I have a question. Yes, sir. I bought some azaleas the other day from Ken. Got them planted. Uh, would it hurt to put some malorganite on them now, or not one bit? It would. It would appreciate yeah, a little fertilizer. Yeah, that won't burn, won't wash away. So yes, absolutely. And that's the beauty of that product, Jerry. Something like milorganite, Hollytone, anything organic. Uh, the soil is going to break it down, and the plant will utilize it or use it as it needs it. It's not going to force you know growth that shouldn't be forced out this time of year. But it will be already broken down. It'll be there. The roots will capture all those uh, those nutrients uh, uh, now and also, you know, in the spring. So absolutely, you can go out there and feed all of those azaleas with something like milorganite this time of year. I was thinking that. Uh, i got to go get it back. But uh, we were looking at some of the other azaleas I've got, and there was a couple of little brown leaves on them. Yeah, not uncommon. Uh, well, I looked on the bottom of the leaf and had a little spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably a lace bug. You might have both. You might have a little leaf spot on there that's not uncommon to see this time of year. And then if you start seeing all the little brown spots on the bottom, the underside of the leaf, that's typically from uh, from lace bug, which is also not uncommon. Typically for lace bug, we just go out there and spray with a good systemic insecticide. Uh, and then yeah, feed and then, like you said, Jerry, feed them with that milorganite, and the telltale sign is going to be how do they look next spring. They should flush out really pretty with good, clean, green growth. Well, I've got some high-yield 38. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which is a 38% permethrin. You can use that product now. That is not systemic. All that means, though, Jerry, if you mix your 38-plus with water, which you should, try to spray under the leaves also, where with a systemic, you don't necessarily have to spray under the leaf to kill the lace bug. Now, what's the, um, the stem, systemic? I'm going to try to remember that. Yeah, look for a product by Bonide called systemic insecticide. It's okay, it's, it's acif- acephate. You know, the problem with, with lace bugs is that they have a very, very tiny piercing mouth part yeah unless you cover the insecticide insect with an insecticide you're not going to kill it so we need to get the chemical inside the plant so that anything that sucks on it dies and that's the nice thing about a systemic it will do that for you and give you three four months control usually something a few products a little longer 
Uh, but that will protect those plants, and it's key to start early in the season. Try to spray it, you know, right after bloom, and that'll give you protection up until midsummer. Another spray in, and that'll usually get you through the season. Right. You think Quality Nursery would have that? I'm sure. Yeah. If they don't, that, go yeah, on that's right different nursery. Yeah, they ought to have it. Okay. Bonide systemic. Yeah. Systemic insect spray, okay. Mr. Jerry. Yes, sir. Okie doke. I appreciate it. Okay, hey, buddy. Thanks for calling, Jerry. McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> Figure out that I Bluetooth. I could use some uh, McDonald's coffee right now. Uh, but let's run off to a break really quickly and uh, appreciate all the calls we've had this morning. Like to hear what's going on in y'all's garden, so you can call us 844-747-8868 or 901-260-5926. Call and talk with Jim, Veda, and Ken now. 844-747-8868. This is Mid-South Gardening. Welcome back. This is Mid-South Gardening, and I'm Veda Vance. <laughs> Thank oh, you. Oh, wait, I got out of order. <laughs> <laughs> you're so out of order, Jim. <laughs> He's so funny. <laughs> I'm glad you're paying attention for me. I'm Veda Vance. You're Jim Crowder. <laughs> you're Kenneth Mabry. You got it, girl. All right, so thanks for joining us this morning, and 844-747-8868. We were talking about um, houseplants earlier, and I have... Uh, have been working with houseplants yeah. more diligently now than before. But say, for instance, we had a ficus tree in the building and it had a little, three little canes on it, about four leaves on it, and it just, just kept suffering, kind of sagging. And I'm just like, why, why did I even take this plant? And I think it had gotten back in the back and just not having enough room. So I took it outside, and within a week, mm. it had numerous new growth on it. It was standing more upright mm. because um, it was had such small canes. And then the second week, it's even grown more. The third week, it's grown more. So it went from, if I'd have left it inside, just like that, it would still be bending over, and the leaves would probably have started gotten, getting spots on it. But now it's upright, big, beautiful, green, clean leaves. And that was just the difference between inside and outside. And that's why a lot of people take their houseplants outside exactly. in the spring, especially ones that are anemic mm-hmm. or suffering for whatever reason. They just yeah. tend to grow in the growing environment outside so much better mm-hmm. than they do inside, even though we call them houseplants, right? Right. right. We had two palms. One I kept outside. It, it received water every day. It was in a shaded condition. Of course, lots of bright light, though. The other palm we left in the uh, bigger building. It's still the same size as when it came in. It's not as flush looking, but mm-hmm. it still looks fine. But there's a huge difference in the two. They came in looking exactly the same, but one outdoors. Because, see, our house plants are really outdoor plants. They're tropical somewhere. Yeah. And, of course, they're always going to look better outside. But if you can get them outside every once in a while, clean them up, let them grow, fertilize them, and then bring them back in the house, 
if you need to have houseplants. Now, I've seen some people have beautiful ficus trees, and they've never been outside, but they're in big windows with lots of light. Yeah, a lot of people are going away from the small-leaf ficus to the mm-hmm. big-leaf, you know, the fiddle-leaf fig. Yeah. Uh, that's the new ficus, you know, for people. Um, but but then again, on the flip side of that, you do see houseplants. In fact, you know, my wife's got some that have never moved really from the mm-hmm. spot that they're in, in indoors. Uh, and they acclimate to where they are, right. and they actually, you know, start performing. Yeah, like the uh, Chinese evergreen plants and grub. the spath plants and all of those. They don't do a whole lot of different look indoors and outdoors, although, of course, always outdoors are going to grow much quicker and double in size, but they they still look great indoors, where these two was a big difference. Well, and like we said in the first hour, a lot of people are starting to bring their house plants in because of cooler temperatures, you know, the latter part of next week. And then the first thing that we want to do is grab a, you know, our, our fertilizer and start really feeding these things, mm-hmm. which is not really the best thing to do this time of year. You, you know, house plants, even though they don't go dormant, mm-hmm. uh, they want to have a little rest period also. So if you're going to feed, uh, you know, your house plants, I mean, I would cut the solution rates in half, to be honest with you, through the winter. Mm-hmm. And then in the spring, you know, you can start feeding them again. In fact, some people say don't feed them at all, you know, during the winter right. months. The and, short of course, of the that days. would be with using, like, fast-acting fertilizers. Right. Because it would run through the plant. But, you know, now that I say that, would, okay, so would a fast-acting fertilizer actually be fast in the winter when they're not pulling up as much yeah sap and all it yeah, would because still as long as your soil temperature is up there mm-hmm. the bacteria is going to make it available to the plant now the amount of sunlight it gets is going to help control how much food it can produce and therefore if it can't produce as much food it can't produce as much growth right so you know that's why you'll see a decline or or a slower growth under mm-hmm. a lower light situation but many plants will tolerate that you know some yeah. palms like the kentia palm I mean, it'll take extremely low light conditions mm-hmm. and it grows, but it grows very slowly. And that's why, you know, you can buy a four foot Eureka palm for $29. Yeah. You buy a four foot Kenshin, it's 150 right. bucks. Because it takes a long time for that thing to get to four foot. That's but right. It also likes the, in, likes the indoor. It tolerates better. the indoor a whole lot better. And it's, yeah. you know, very nice looking palm so mm-hmm. you know it's uh, plants that have been grown by the grower for lower light situations are going to cost you a good bit That's more true. than what you see you know at the box stores where they got three gallon crotons for you know 9.99 uh-huh. right. or something right yeah. they're just they've been grown in full sun and, and if you give them anything less than that they're going to start dropping mm-hmm. leaves now, yeah. what about what do y'all think about the creating humidity in the house? Well, you almost for house plants get enough humidity. Oh, I know, but but yeah. you know, you still see a lot of people get their plastic saucer. They'll mm-hmm. put some pea gravel or whatever in there. They'll fill it with water. And they'll set the pot on top of that because they're in that little microclimate area right there. They're trying to create some yeah. humidity. Good or bad? Doesn't, doesn't Indifferent. help. Indifferent. It doesn't help. It just, no. So it's yeah. just not enough. No, there's right. enough air movement in your house mm-hmm. that it would pull a, pull that humidity off and, and just distribute it all through the room. So, I mean, it sounds like a good idea. Right. Yeah. It sounds like a good idea to group them all together. But, again, because there's air movement in the house, you're not going to have this little greenhouse effect in one corner. You know, even if you group them all together, even if right. you group them all yeah. together. You know. Well, like in our building, there's we have a huge amount of house plants. And a smaller building. 
So the past uh, couple of days, since it's been cooler outside, when I come in the building, it's humid because yeah. of all all the house plants. And we do have a couple fountains in there, which adds to the water. So I actually open the doors <laughs> so I can get the humidity out because it messes with my hair. <laughs> you know, she's yeah. killing the house plants, but her oh, hair looks great. Right. She was going hair. somewhere with right, this, and right. it's all about her hair. I just had to let that humidity out. Oh, and then I have a, a someone has come in and bought a lot of house plants, put them in in their um, living situation, their living room, and he says that his friends love to come over because his house smells so fresh. Well, but we've debunked some of that also. Yeah, but, Mm -hmm. you know, they do release a good bit of humidity, of moisture into the air. You know, Mm -hmm. I told you it was last year where I picked up a bunch of plants and I left them in the car overnight. Yeah. Well, to protect them because I knew it was going to get cold. Uh Well, the next morning there was frost on the inside of the car. You know, the outside was fine. Right. (laughs) So it's just amazing. Or like the weather's fine and then you open your car and it's real humid in (laughs) there too. That's right. at the same time, though, I don't think it's clarifying the air, clearing the air it's, completely it's not, in a big house. No. Three plants don't work. No, yeah. you you know, if you're buying plants to filter your air, the toxins out. Yeah, you, you won't have. It'll be like a a hoarder. You won't be able to walk through the house. Yeah, that's right. It needs to be that many plants. <laughs> Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 844-747-8868. You know, we're talking about fertilizers, insecticides, and all that. And um, so cabbage, ornamental cabbage. Love it. About a couple weeks ago, I saw holes all in it. Mm. Cabbage looper. Cabbage looper. Or probably cabbage looper. Yeah, Yeah. a caterpillar. So I took my spinosin. There's about six of them sprayed you know all in the top but since they were in containers i was able to flip it and spray underneath too don't know if i really had to but anyway sprayed all over it came back the next day and all the caterpillars had moved out on the leaves Mm -hmm. probably you know probably trying to get air and and all of that because the spinosin was doing its thing on them and then the next day they were just black and and dry from this bacteria and the the spinosin munching out on them so then um another plant someone had come in and they brought it in and gave them some neem they went home sprayed it and then came back like a week later yeah, this was a house plant yeah, or a house plant yeah. house plant came back a week later and was just so excited because the neem worked great oh yeah so uh the neem and the spinosin is really good for house plants as well or, or as for the cabbage too and they're natural and so if you're not wanting to use something like orthene or is orthene still around? Well, that's, that's that the, the bonite systemic. Yeah. Oh, that's a bonite systemic. Yeah, it, you don't want to use that indoors. It's got right. such a horrible smell to or, it. Or, you know, or big, big trees or plants, you know, like y'all were saying earlier. And this Obvious is, idea. this is a thing that you can't uh, expect an organic product to control. And that was a lanternfly. That you were talking oh, about yeah. where the whole tree is covered with lanternflies that can take out more trees. 
but you spray a neem or or spinosin's not going to do it, and you've right. got to power up more because it's the the damage is worse. So sometimes you need to weigh the differences. Well, and I like that product that you mentioned, spinosad. Uh, of course, BT is another really good product. Anytime you have caterpillars, <coughs> excuse me, that you're trying to control, uh, whether it's on ornamental plants or even edibles, as far as that goes. And then you mentioned neem also, uh, whether it's triple action, which has got neem and permethrin mm-hmm. uh, combined, or neem all by itself. Yeah. Uh, an oil spray, I love spraying things down with an oil spray. We are talking about houseplants earlier, spraying them down before you bring them inside. Uh, and neem oil is, is wonderful uh, to do, to use that product with. Um, I mean, I just like the idea that it coats the tissue, it kills the insects, but it also smothers the egg and larva that yeah. you potentially are bringing inside when yeah. you bring these houseplants inside. So, so. There, there's some really good, safe products out there to use. Right, yeah. Mm. Um, and then, which leads me to, we were talking about natural versus organic. Mm. I was trying to really break this down because you think in your head, natural and organic mean the same thing because organic is using natural products. Right. But, and what really made me think deeper into it was when Jim said the outer eggshell it's not organic. And how a lot of people like to use eggshells and compost pals yeah. and put it around their tomatoes for calcium and all that. Well, that's another one of those somewhat myths mm-hmm. that is really total beneficial. Myth. Not somewhat. Yeah. Total myth. Yeah. Total myth. So the shell is <laughs> natural, but the shell's not organic. That's right. Because, uh, the, and then. The just, lining inside the shell is. Yeah. You know, so you're getting there. But if you're being a true organic gardener, you would not want to put uh, eggshells in your garden. But you wouldn't want to put them in the garden anyway, would you? Eggshells. Well, a lot of people want to put eggshells in the garden because of this misconception that right. they'll release calcium, they'll right. raise your pH, mm-hmm. when, and none of that's true. Right, but in fact, it can be somewhat detrimental using well, eggshells, can it? I use the yes, eggshells just to build up the... just to add more to just the to, compost basically pile. Basically to make you feel better. Yeah, right. And of course... I was doing this 15 years ago before we found out that they don't do any good. <laughs> Although I still think they've got to help in the whole <laughs> See, process. That's, that's, well, the, I mean, you feel that what way. What about the banana peels? I know. I mean, you now know, it turns into great compost. I've read uh, so it many. It turns into mushy mess. Yeah. But it's not a it great is. source of potassium for the plant, is no. it? No. Uh-uh. no. You know, I know that. In fact, quite often tomatoes have more potassium in them than bananas. Hmm. Yeah. I know I read about all the uh, back in the day fertilizers of, of you know, books of like uh, gardeners that wrote letters to each other from, you know, they meet and then there's a gardener in this part of the state, another one in that part of the state. And, and so there's books about letters of gardeners writing back and forth and they're doing they're talking about all those things the the banana peels and the fish and everything the to shells. add the organic matter back into their soil. And maybe it's not as potent is what we have available to us now but it worked a little bit back then well you know just i mean because when you have nothing a little bit of something's better than nothing yeah if it's useless though it's really not i mean a lot of people get get this misconception that you know when they do something to a plant and the plant grows they think Mm -hmm. it's the result of what they did and the the fact of the matter is (laughs) we all do the plant makes its own food it doesn't Mm -hmm. need us okay we give it some things to help it along okay Mm -hmm. but it 
brings in sunlight, turns it into sugar, feeds on the sugar. It takes care of itself. Unless through, it's a through photosynthesis yeah. inside. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it still does. It's bringing in light. still mm-hmm. does the same thing. So a lot of people think, you know, particularly saying, oh, well, I, you know, I did this, and I look at how the plants would grow. Well, you know, there's a really good possibility if you hadn't done anything, they still would have done the mm-hmm. same thing if the soil's right mm-hmm. and, and, and the world is perfect. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, if you're giving them anything that the plant can use as a plant food, you're going to get some benefit out of it. But there are a lot of things that we think are really going to help that plant that really do nothing. You I know? think the uh, the banana peel may have nothing but the, the the inside of the banana peel, the edible part of the banana peel. Wouldn't that break down into something? Well, they'll all break well, down. I don't I mean, eat any part of the banana peel. I don't know about <laughs> oh, you. You know, like if when you peel it off on the inside, it's still got part of the banana Well, on but, but, it. but well, that little that's, thin that's organic skin. matter, okay? And yeah. it, it does help, you know, but mm-hmm. a lot of people put them down with this thought that it's going to give you lots of, of potassium. No, no, I agree. It know? doesn't yeah. do that. Uh, and, yeah. it's, and it's not going to do that. You but know, it definitely would break down into compost, yeah, into organic yeah. matter. It's good mm-hmm. organic matter for help feeding the microbes. I mean, that's yeah. that's an important part. And that's really only in the last 20, 25 years, we've really seen the, the production nurseries focus on the soil as much mm-hmm. as the plant they're growing. You know, uh, Monrovia was probably the first. They ended up yeah. with, I don't know, 18 different soils or stuff yeah. with certain bacteria and fungi in it to get the maximum production out of those plants. You know, and most other nurseries were just dumping soil in a pot and putting yeah. a plant in it. Yeah. You know, okay? Trying to make it as light as and cheap as possible. Yeah. and yeah. fertilize it, you know, and mm-hmm. just grow it like we grow cotton or something, yeah. you know, and then we plow it under. And not only that, Jim, a lot of the fertilizers now have mycorrhiza added to it. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is the beneficial fungi, of course. So you're getting these and organic that's, products. Like that's the, as important as what's in the fertilizer, yeah. you know. But and it, a lot of these things like, you know. The Fox Farm products, you know, the liquids, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, if you're looking at something that's 1% nitrogen and you're buying a quart bottle of it, there's only enough nitrogen net to feed about 20 square feet, mm-hmm. okay? But that's not the point, okay? It's not the fertilizer you're after. It's the other stuff in there, yeah. okay? Yeah. And that fertilizer helps jumpstart those bacteria and other things that are going on. So, you know, it's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember when we first started talking about it when I first started doing the show, which was like 24 years ago or maybe a little bit more. And uh, it was foreign then mm-hmm. to discuss that the soil could be alive. And that you needed to feed the microorganisms in order to get the microorganisms to break the soil mm. down to make it available to the plant. Yeah, but, but like Jim was saying, you see a, a good organic fertilizer, whether it's a liquid, water-soluble, or even granulated, and you look at the numbers and you see these like 311 mm-hmm. or 212. No, They're like, oh, no. you know, that means fertilizer per hundred weight okay that yeah. means if you had a hundred pounds of that stuff you'd have three, th- three pounds of ni- there's three pounds of nitrogen in it which is but, not a lot but you got a quart that's two pounds so it's it's you know 50 yeah divide that three by 50 and you end up with yeah. what you actually got but the point is they see these low low numbers we're so used to seeing 13 13 13 and triple 15 and mm-hmm. triple 20s you know these high numbers well, you look at the organics, you're not going to see those high numbers, but that doesn't mean... You're still putting down the same amount of nitrogen per square mm-hmm. foot, okay? Yeah. Now, different types of nitrogen, okay? Yeah. Different types of, of other micronutrients and macronutrients in there. Uh, but, you know, you're going to, if you're growing grass, 
it doesn't really care much. You know, mm-hmm. as long as you're giving it nitrogen, it's happy. You don't really care where it comes from. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, True. So, you know, but a lot of people still forget that. And, it, and it's most important is plants make their own food. We don't mm-hmm. feed them. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they're going to grow just great, you know, and, yeah. but we give them things to help them along and help that bacteria along. Well, but I I'm still like the so idea far. of feeding, whether it's my lawn, whether it's the shrubs, mm-hmm. whether it's the house plants, and on down the line. Because, like you said, it is a nutrient value for that plant, lawn, or shrub. Right. And these, a lot of these things do build, build cell walls and stuff that carbon and, and phosphorus, I mean, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potash just don't do. All right. They do other things that are important. It's all so there. You know, if you I think know. about it, I'm yeah. thinking about gospel uh, according to Jim, right? <laughs> well, and then it's like all the past of all the blue water fertilizers, like the Miracle Grow and the Jobs that we had to spray and spray on our plants, which uh, was fast acting, and but it, still it doesn't. Is. Um, you know, like I was t- explaining to somebody, you use organic or natural products, you work on your soil, you make your soil really good, and um, everything works great. It blooms wonderful. The blooms smell more better. <laughs> they smell more better. When you use organic products, you get all the minerals and microorganisms that every that the plant needs. And then I was like, but if you want to spike it with Miracle Grow, then <laughs> you can. It. But then why would you need to spike it with Miracle Grow when it's already growing perfectly because of all of its natural stuff? Well, it's because and of the commercial you That's what I was going to say. Grow. Yeah, that. You know, the, the, and if you read the fine print underneath there, you know, that's, uh-huh. that's so small that you can have to get right up on the TV. It says, this is a plant fertilized with Miracle Grow. This is one that's not fertilized. Mm-hmm. Well, duh. Yeah. yeah any, I mean, <laughs> any fertilizer would have gotten you that's that result. That's what I thought, too. I'm going. And they're just playing on the fact that people aren't uh, knowing yet. Yes. Well, but yeah, don't. don't and we had James Whitmore for a long time, you know, and he oh, was Oh, that's right. Yeah, you had to believe him. But absolutely. Yeah. But don't think that water-soluble plant foods are not a good thing. Uh, no, there's right. a, that's true. There are yeah. some great water-soluble plant foods. Now, there's some out there that have more sodium in it than others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like the low-sodium uh, water-soluble plant foods. But the beauty of a water-soluble plant food that you just mix with water and pour spray is they are working really fast. They don't yeah. last that long, but they work really fast. Get okay, results. Uh, get exactly. You a lot of growth. They'll get you a lot of flowers uh, really quick. Yeah, you kind of have to think. I mean, plants, animals, and people are all from the same thing. We're Excuse just me? yeah, we are. We all we all have not from the same thing. I mean, you, you know, know, I'm still dealing with we, evolving from an ape. No, right, you no, no. evolve from a plant. Huh? Yes, we all contain <laughs> the same things. We compose. People can compost down and become yeah. part of a plant. <laughs> a plant can compost down and become part of a person because of all that. So we all need micronutrients. We all need minerals. We all need. Um, things to boost our immune system, and that's just like plants. So humans don't need a lot of salt. So mm. why would a plant need a lot of salt? So, so you're you saying kinda, so, kind of you know you know what's going to be bad for you is going to be probably mm-hmm. bad for your plant. I mean, right. in a very simple form, right? Yeah, right. Because we're all from the same type of nutrients. We're on the same life cycle. 
Yeah. I think uh, I think house plants, Jim, I think they would still like Tabasco sauce, though. Yeah, house plants. They just would. But, well, the Tabasco sauce would have some nutrients that could work in the soil. It, you know, mm-hmm. it would. It'd have something in there. That She's going to start experimenting with all this that'll stuff. That'll be now. officially. Yeah, <laughs> something the bacteria in there. climbing out and running across the table. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's too hot for roots and all. Okay, we got to go to a, to a house plant. We got to go to a break, and we'll be right back. We need this break. <laughs> this is Mid South Gardening. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Give us a call, 844-747-8868. And the local number, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926. And we were talking during the break that, you know, I always pick on the hosta people because mm-hmm. I, I call them hosta fanatics. And I mean that in a nice way. Don't get me wrong. You know, remember and they take it in a nice yeah, way. Yeah, but because remember they know they are. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> so it's all good. They know they're, but they would have like a hosta sale, uh, and, and I always told people, don't be the first one in line because you will get trampled when they open the gates. Right. Well, the the hosta of the year next year for 2022 is called Island Breeze, uh, and what makes it a little unique, and it's not the only one out there, but it's got has more of a red stem, uh, you know, holding up the foliage, right. <laughs> And then I was wondering to myself, like, okay, it's got this red stem or reddish stems uh, holding up this beautiful variegated foliage, which other hostas to some extent do that also. But I'm wondering if the slugs and snails, can they actually see the hosta even better now? Yeah, <laughs> you know? that's it. Uh-huh. I'm like, you know, they're like, there it is there it over is. there. Okay, so that one, did you, what did you call it again? Island, Island breeze. breeze, yeah. So uh, my point was... Or not my point, but I was discerning on the whole, like Jim said, do we really need another hosta? And then this is a new one with red stems. And I've seen some others that had some red stems. Right. But you don't see the red stems when it's all flushed out. But you see the red when stems when it's first coming it's out. And the foliage has not just completely yeah. hid the stems. Right. Which is still nice, though, because like, yeah, and Kenneth yeah, but was... The, this is designer jeans. I'm showing a picture to the guys here. That, mm-hmm. to me, is the best-looking red stem, and it's performed very well for Designer me. jeans. Yeah, and it's it's a great red-stemmed, yeah. bright, I, I call it yellow. So but you I mean, can see the red stem on that one as it comes out. As it comes out yeah. of the ground, and, and particularly the younger they are, the easier mm-hmm. it is to see the stem, yeah. but... They're uh, they're they're really quite attractive. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, I did like I did like the way it looked growing out of the yeah, ground because too. there was the red stems and then the yellow foliage coming out of the top. And as they get larger, of course, you won't see the red stems. But when the hostas and things are just first starting to spring out of the ground, anything that's got color or difference is is entertaining mm-hmm. and but enjoyable to look at. So. But there's so many. It, like remember last year, the one that was called praying hands. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of like yeah. designer jeans, where it kind of comes up, but mm-hmm. it doesn't go up and come all the way back down to the yeah. ground. So it's more like an upright, yeah, uh, uh, elephant ear. You know, it's more like an upright mm-hmm. looking hosta. 
But there are so many hostas out there now. I mean, yeah. it's just, it, it makes your head spin. You can do some great designs with hostas. You can. There's no doubt. And I love hostas. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. And everybody that has shaded environments, they, you know, you're going to see some hostas in there. It's just really sad where I have seen some beautiful landscapes with just hostas because they've put the right colors the and the right The blues and greens, the variegated, yeah. And then the deer just mow them down. Yeah. That it, even hurts me, and there weren't mine. If you're interested in hosta, please join our group, too, Mid-South Garden because uh, in the file section I have a an extensive list of of uh, readily available hosta that right. you can find in in nurseries you know not some real rare stuff but anyway but it not only tells you whether it will tolerate sun it'll tell you Now when you whether, say sun how much sun do you mean Well you know <laughs> I mean, all hostas look better in some shade Yes okay but mo- there are several that will take 5 or 6 hours of morning sun without any issue Okay. All right. Uh, well, but we'll... anyway, it also tells you whether they're slug resistant. Tells you whether their flowers are fragrant. It's on two hundred plus varieties. You should join our group, Mid South Gardening, and we'll be back after this break. Gardeners, welcome to Mid-South Gardening. I'm Beta Vance with Palladio Garden. Garden. You need. Now, Mid-South Gardening, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. That, that was wonderful for them to announce. Yeah. I'm Veda Vance with Palladio. Yeah, and I'm Kenneth of Danvers Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder, retired nurseryman and the administrator of our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening. Which is wonderful, wonderful. So, um, okay, so you know we have we have the fall season, the winter season, <clears throat> the spring season, the bulb season. We have all those seasons. Well, of course, okay, so at Palladio we also sell outdoor furniture and things like that. And so I'm listening to the furniture people talking. And so then I hear uh, Frank say, well, it's getting to be table season. (laughs) Table season. I'm like, what is table season? Thought about it a minute. Oh, this is the time where tables sell because of the holidays coming up. Mm. So there's even seasons in furniture. That's funny. <laughs> uh, because he doesn't do anything with the gardening. He yeah. doesn't know anything about the gardening. It's total foreign language. And then when he's talking about all this outdoor furniture and stuff, and I'm going, table season? Who knew? Yeah. There's a season for everything, isn't there? Yeah, but I, and also, guys, uh, you know, just, just, Put it in your head somewhere that eventually the mids, the Memphis area master gardeners calendars would be coming out. Yay! Uh, and Jamie, uh, he'll come up, uh, and Jan probably mm-hmm. his sweet wife uh, will come up. Uh, maybe the second week in November with a guest and maybe talk about it like we always do. Yeah. But it's coming up, you know, and it's a great calendar with all the great pictures mm-hmm. by local people. And all the wonderful, uh, you know, information articles in there. So, you know, I always get calendars, of course, every year. And it used to be Christmas present from mom. And it'd be beautiful and wonderful calendar. And then when the Miss, the Master Gardener calendars came out, um, I, I just had to have that one because they're so pretty. I, so I'm like, you know, they've got great photos and great information. I'll give that calendar the special spot on the wall. It looks that good. Yeah, so we, yeah. You know, we'll have them up here, and we'll talk about this. Of course, 
um, you know, later on, and we'll also let you know when they will become available. Because remember, with the Memphis Area Master Gardener program, uh, mm-hmm. this is one of their, uh, you know, this one way Fund that they fundraise that they yeah. raise money. But you can only the calendars are only available for a short amount of time. Well, we have a lot of folks that come yeah. in to get the calendar because it's a um, over each Christmas they give a, a, a master gardener calendar, oh, so absolutely. it's becoming a tradition. Yes. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to those being out because that means another year. And we had did have uh, Judy Wood, who's on Facebook. Uh, she did send in a question. She said, "Recommend recommendation for moving uh, a volunteer tulip poplar, 36 inches <laughs> tall. So she's got a tulip poplar that's about three foot tall from a yard to a friend's yard. And also the second question was suggestions for overwintering milkweed. Starting with the tulip popper that's mm-hmm. only probably a volunteer that's only about three foot tall, easy. Dig that thing up. Try to get as much of the little root ball as you possibly mm-hmm. can. Get it transplanted to wherever it, you want to go, just an open, sunny area. Um, and this is a perfect time of year to get it done, as long as the ground's not waterlogged like it is now. But fall is a great time to get that thing dug up, get it moved uh, or transplanted. Now, I would say, you know, prep the soil like you would anything else. You know, yeah. dig the hole just as deep, twice as wide as the little root ball that you pull up. Uh, add a little compost or garden soil or something in there. Get it planted. Get a root stimulator. Saturate the roots once a week for about a month, and you're good to go. Three foot. I'll, every time I do that, I come up with no soil and all roots. Well, <laughs> but that's my, just get that little shovel and just mm-hmm. kind of dig around it and, and create a, a ball and yeah. just pick the whole little thing up and transplant it. But once again, this is a perfect time of year to get that done. It is a great transplanting time. Yeah, if you want to transplant anything, this is absolutely the best. But notice I said a big open area to yeah. plant this tulip uh-huh. popper. Because this is the same tree that. that is just the, just a thorn in my side. Uh, it, 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 I have a front yard, of course, mm-hmm. like everybody else. But mine is a small pie-shaped front yard because I live in a cove, right? Well, when we moved in this house 20 years ago, this tulip poplar was only about 10 to 12 foot tall. This in my front yard. Looked great. But I said something then to my wife that, hey, this thing is going to get really big. And it's not really the tree mm-hmm. for this small front yard. And, we, of course, we face due west. And the house will just bake, yes. I'm telling you, if I don't have shade out there. So we left it there, of course. And to this day, I'm still thinking there's got to be a way I can just get rid of this tree. <laughs> it's the wrong just... tree. because, And I love it. It's beautiful. It, it creates shade. But it's the wrong tree for the wrong spot. I don't know. I think you're just asphyxiated on it. Well, I am. I truly am. Because, you know, shade is good shade. Any shade's good shade, no matter what the tree. You know, it's really crazy how we get in that where the tree has to match the side Mm -hmm. of that size of the house kind of thing. And it, it's funny how we get stuck in that. I mean, but it's a, now I look at things and go, man, that tree's too big for that no, house. It's the that's perfect, crazy. Yeah, it's the perfect spot for a tree. I mean, mm-hmm. it's positioned perfectly fine, for okay? It's shade. just the wrong tree. <laughs> and whoever put that thing in there 20 years ago should have known better, is all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. If it was like a builder's package, yeah. you know, where you get the house and then the builders just generically yeah. put some shrubs in. Then you don't get the choice, do you? No, but I uh, did, uh, speaking of trees, and you know, and so this is a perfect time, Judy, to, to get that thing dug up and get it transplanted. Now, what about the milkweed? I mean, it's... Oh, yeah, the milkweed. So there's certain varieties. Some make it, some don't. 
Right? Because I was thinking most of them do. Yeah, most of your ascephalus, you know, mm-hmm. your milkweed is, is a true perennial. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it'll die down in the winter and just come back next spring. Uh, right, Jim? Yeah, in, in containers, I would just, as soon as we get a frost on them, cut the, the foliage off the top uh, and then, you know, just set them over somewhere and cover them with leaves. Yeah. And they'll be fine. Now, what about these, quote, swamp milkweed? Uh, and the swamp milkweed mm-hmm. would be fine. Just I needs mean, to make sure that it stays, you know, <clears throat> moist. You don't want to let it dry out. But yeah. usually if if you just put them up against the house and just throw leaves over them, mm-hmm. I mean, cover them, you know, mm-hmm. six inches deep, and then next spring pull them out and they're fine. Yeah. I mean, be, in I, fact, they'll already be sprouting probably. So I if mean, you have uh, them just in a perennial garden. They'll be fine. You but, don't have to worry yeah. about them. Just, yeah, I thought I they always throw, came back. I usually throw some leaves on them, but they're you know they come back with a vengeance. Mm-hmm. So. Now, in your perennial garden, would you or do you, Jim and Kenneth, um, take clean everything up, take all the tops off, and just mulch it where everything's clean? You never knew you had a perennial garden there. You know, I've always you, heard and read where if you just leave them alone and do the cleaning and the cutting back in the early spring, mm-hmm. uh, more so than doing it now. Yeah, I think it's got a, a multi amount of benefits besides cleaning them down there's a lot of benefits by leaving it up yeah and and not saying that you can't even go in there and just cut half of these things back Mm -hmm. um but i I just personally don't like the idea of cutting perennials back flush to the ground this time of year i'd rather wait till early spring and do it and i know there's pros and cons a lot of people hate the way you know a lot of these perennials look when they dry up and they look Mm -hmm. dead through the winter but i think overall uh, they're just better winter protected if you don't cut them down to the ground uh, this time yeah. of year and wait till spring to do it. But plus, because there's the seed heads, that's beneficial. Um, it's a home for beneficial insects. It can be a home for bad insects too, you know, but uh, it's still got a lot of positives to it. And you don't have to do the yard work in the fall and the snow and the frost looks pretty on having the different types of seed heads and all of that out in your landscape so i like that interest and i like and now on some like jim was mentioning in the first or second hour that on things that turn mushy like cannas and bananas and and those kind of things yeah Yeah. those i don't mind cleaning up and cutting back um but jim what's your take on just fall cleanup if it's perennials? if it's dead i cut it out Mm-hmm. So it's hard not to. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, so many of, of my perennials are things like uh, coreopsis, um, mm-hmm. uh, rubecchias, and they'll have green, right? You know, have a basal yeah. growth there around the crown. Um, the thing I don't like to do is, you know, on things that die completely back, is cover them too heavily in mulch because mm-hmm. uh, you can get some rot in the crown right. there yeah. if you're not careful. Well, I like like the coneflower heads. I like those to stay, and I like the rubecchia seed heads. I like those out in the garden. But but as far as other than appearance, though, I mean, do, is there truly a pro or con between not cutting perennials back in the fall and cutting perennials back in the fall? You mean like as far as survival? Yes. Rate? Yes. I mean, is it or is it just really up to the well, homeowner? I know. See, the the argument I've heard a number of times is is it allows all the nutrients to go to the root. But, as it's dying back. Yeah, as it's dying back. But when it's dead, then it's no big deal. Yeah. Just take it away. Yeah. You always have some discussion about hollow stems and whether yeah. water getting in there causes yeah. the oh. crown to die. And and I think it's, um, I think there's, it's 
like making a mountain out of a molehill. Yeah, it's hold that, that thought. Problem. Mountain out of a molehill. We're going to run to a break, and then we'll get back to the mountains and the molehills. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. More of Mid-South Gardening coming up. Well, it's just that... Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. And we're talking about mountains out of molehills or molehills out of mountains. Well, it's where we, you know, we create the illusion of a problem where there may not actually be one. Yeah. And when we're talking about potentially cutting back perennials in the fall or spring, is there a better time to do it? Yeah. And I don't really think that there is other than, you know, like I say, we have some people who say if you don't cut lantana back, then it comes back better. But, you know, I've cut mine back every year to the ground, and with the exception of last year where it just the, the cold got, temperatures got it, they come back just beautifully every year. But mentioning, you know, just run-of-the-mill perennials like uh, echinacea, the coneflowers, and the rubecchias, and, and down the line that you typically see in a lot of perennial beds. Um, but you do want to wait till they die back before you cut them yeah. back, if you do it this time yeah, of year. Yeah, you know, if you— my, all, most all of my echinaceas are not where I can see them from the mm-hmm. house. Okay, they're out in the cutting garden. Yeah. So I'm, I don't really care about watching birds feed on them. So as soon as they mm-hmm. are mature, I'll have to cut them off and then just shake the seed out of yeah. them to come up in the bed. And then, um, you know, just throw the other part away. Oh, so you're not going to see the birds eating the seed? No. Uh-uh. Well, I, have a, I have a suet thing set up to watch the birds in the backyard. Well, at least you got some food back there for them. I'm oh, thinking, yeah. well, that bird's thinking, really? Really, you don't. You're not watching me eat. This does is, that not mean I'm not hungry? This oh, is how Veda gets on the gym softly. I, I, I exactly. feed them mealworms, and I feed feed them a mealworm suet. So, and it, that way, I don't get all the sparrows. And you know, I just yeah. Get, the from, mealworm for which which birds like those? Well, uh, bluebirds particularly like mm-hmm. it. Uh, wrens like it. Chickadees like it. Oh, so uh, those are the kinglets. Fun birds. Uh, kinglets? kinglets? I don't know a kinglet. Kinglet's beautiful little bird. Got a little Aww. red head on the male. Um, we have a lot of those. Uh, the, of course, the woodpeckers. Mm-hmm. They, My they favorite. Love I love woodpeckers. Yeah, we have a lot of downies. And I had a, a redhead a few years back, but I haven't seen him in a couple of years. Um, but, you know, and, and occasionally we've got a few cowbirds and blackbirds in there. But, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not feeding any corn, so they're not a big issue. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, and that that's one of the arguments of uh, leaving. And maybe these people don't do bird feed, not these people. But <coughs> maybe if you don't want to do the bird feeders and then you leave everything natural in your yard, that, therefore also all the natural items, plants, have insects that birds like. You know, so in that respect, because we also need to make sure there's water for the birds, especially when it starts freezing. That's the most important thing is keeping water. And I've got... Mm-hmm. Of course, I have, uh, I have in, over in the secret garden, I have a couple of um, uh, birdbath tops that are yeah. on the ground oh, so nice. that the turtles can <coughs> crawl through it and the birds can get on it. Yeah. Uh, and then I've got, a, I've got a little elevated one for birds that just don't like to get on the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I have, I have one even taller that's in the backyard that I, you know, they can get in. So, and it's not very deep, so they can walk through Yeah, it. I was going to say, that's one thing that you really have to look for is a lot of times I see bird baths that are too deep for a bird to actually yes. use. Mm-hmm. So if, you, if that happens, you could set rocks and things in there. We have a real shallow, small bird bath at work. But the little, the wrens 
they just love it. And it's so wonderful to watch them playing and, and shaking their feathers off and arguing with each other because the bird bath's not that small. So a customer came in and she was like, well, I'm kind of interested in that bird bath. I, I like how that looks. So you how hated, much you is hated, that? You hated to sell that one. Because I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, how much is that? And I went, oh, that's a, the tag says 125 That's $500. <laughs> Please. <laughs> but then I showed her some more and she took the other. But I would have let her have that one. But that bird bath is so perfect right there. And I'm sure the bird's not going to mind if I sell that one and get another one. Yeah. And but for, what if? <laughs> and birding's a big deal. A lot of people get out this time of year with the binoculars, really year round. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. I mean, you know, a little water out there is not going to hurt anything. Uh, having a, 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 you know, a source of food, whether it's natural, like you're saying, Veda or Jim, putting a, some some high quality bird food out there, uh, you can have a, a an array of different types of birds in your landscape, and that's nothing but a good thing, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And then one thing that looks really spectacular in the fall and even through the winter, especially when you have perennials that have died out, the look just looks so good together. And that's the ornamental grasses. They have different types of seed heads. They have different uh, types of foliage. The sun shining through the seed heads are so, the plumes are so beautiful. And then the movement of the ornamental grasses. So uh, look out in your landscape and see, because sometimes you can have like uh, you'll have a bed that looks great, but you have an ornamental grass in there. And maybe it's not doing its thing or showing so much. But a lot of times it's worth to keep that there because then in the fall, it's the thing. And the other stuff's died down. Oh, I mean, I, I've always said this. I think ornamental grasses are one of the most underplanted perennials mm-hmm. that you can think of. Uh, I mean, there's every size, every color. I mean, and they're hardy as everything. Mm-hmm. And like you said, for all the attributes that you just gave them, Veda, I just think they're grossly underplanted. In fact, uh, I was reading about a, uh, was it a blue-stemmed grass? Uh, yeah. A little blue-stemmed. Blue yeah, stem. that's mm-hmm. going to be, you know, a big thing, yeah. uh, you know, coming up, maybe like even this next year. Yeah, something? I think so, maybe, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Or, or, or the grass of the year, for sure. But it does have a bluish foliage, yeah. yeah and, um, but, I mean, I'm, I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, people just don't typically use enough grasses in their landscape. Well, so often we see them used wrong, yeah, too. Yeah, that's you know? the thing. They, most all of them will not tolerate any shade. They'll flop over and mm-hmm. just open up in the center. Right. Um, and so you, you got to get them, get them in full sunlight. And they'll buy some that just get humongous yeah. quick. Yeah. You know, and once they get in, they're a booger to get out. Yeah. You have to dig them. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> don't like that at all. Yeah. <laughs> don't so, like that at all. Plan Tried ahead. It. Plan yeah. ahead. <laughs> and don't go with the big campus grass either. Yeah. Well, well you unless know, you have the room for it. Yeah. And that's yeah. the thing is having the correct room for it and pruning it and in case of pompous or pampas grass yeah. just don't prune it at all leave it alone mm-hmm. it'll be just fine have, have haven't people had to use chainsaws oh yeah to cut the pampas grass back I mean, there so is I've a dwarf it, like you said i've also. seen it on the golf courses but there's plenty of room yeah. and they're big and beautiful I amazing the old sand traps, but yeah. if that was in your yard that would be could be a fourth of your yard yeah. <laughs> covered i've up got in the um it's been in two years now a little dwarf golden um Miscanthus. It's a beautiful oh, little dwarf thing. golden. Yeah, okay. it's a pretty little thing. Um, and I've got a, in the shade garden, I've got a carex that has a red flower mm-hmm. uh, on it. And it's really an unusual, it has a wide blade, only gets about 
10, 12 inches you have tall. You Carex. It yeah. gets a red flower. has a red flower. I think I probably got a picture. I'll show it to you I was going to talk about Carex, but that one, I'm intrigued. We'll be right back. Oh, I was going to talk, you know, I got in a few of the unusual things. And um, we're back. Good morning, once <laughs> we again. We were in such a deep conversation that I, about plants, Can you that believe I totally that? forgot. When we're off the air, we're actually talking about plants. Yeah. And if you want to give us a call this morning, 901-260-5926, 901-260-5926. Yeah. Or, we appreciate everybody joining and listening to us this morning, and please feel free to send us a question or call us. Um, and, you know, and if you don't have time or you're driving in car uh just you know put it on join our facebook group if you're not a member and just send us a question send us a picture and and you know if you want to address it to veda or kenneth i don't have, no have a reason why you want to do that i but, know but yeah <laughs> i just can't get past I'm you i'm sorry uh, <laughs> he's got i love these just guys can't get past you guys you. have no idea how much i look forward to saturday oh, morning same a, same you know because um, you're other than my wife you're my only other two friends <laughs> <I know. laughs> all right we got to start i feel the same we'll be <laughs> well, thinking about i don't have a wife but. well yeah <laughs> we'll be thinking about planting uh bulbs here before long and mm-hmm. veda you know early on we were talking about forcing bulbs you know the easy ones are the paper whites and the uh, amaryllis because mm-hmm. there's no pre-chilling involved right you know yeah, all you do no is pre- uh. is bomb and and pot them up and add water and they're going to do their thing okay so did you get this is what's amazing did you get the amaryllis and the wax coating not yet we will yeah we just got those in and what's amazing is amaryllis in wax will grow and bloom yeah you because just, all the nutrients are in the bulb you just set it's the so thing cool. on the table no water no anything and they just no do container. their things yeah but a lot of people just wrong just it is wrong. weird it took me a minute but now i'm loving them uh, but the the paper whites <laughs> you know there, there are many different varieties of paper whites on the market and one thing that you sometimes hear is and i love the way paper whites smell by the way mm-hmm. some I people hate the way they smell mm-hmm. uh like the old-fashioned ziva you know it's got a heavy fragrance to it okay uh and then there's uh the end ball which is a uh, you know it's supposed to be a little shorter variety it came out on the market years and years ago but the end ball has a uh, a softer fragrance than the ziva it's not quite wow. as fragrant and then there's the galilee that isn't even has a less fragrance well that's like tomatoes they all taste the same it seems i don't never noticed a difference in the smell of the paper mm-hmm. whites mm-hmm small medium and large exactly smell. so just re- i mean so just know that because some people they will not plant paper whites because of the fragrance okay so the least favorite is what no, i mean fragrant is like the galilee okay and then you know the one that's above that is the the end ball and mm-hmm. then the one that's the most heavily fragrant is the uh the ziva do you I have think- a the golden one no, we cured them years ago. We've only we've got those three though. They we never do have, sold well, but I always yeah. did love them. Gold? I've never seen the gold. Mm-hmm. gold the flowers like are gold. Diesel the stems lore. are yeah. gold. Yeah. The, the blooms. Uh, it's a yellow paper white. Mm-hmm. Yellow or gold? Well, gold. yellow really is mm-hmm. yellow. 
But well, but, that can that can I don't know. But I guess my mm-hmm. point is, I mean, there are some bulbs out there that you can easily, readily force to bloom, and then of course the amaryllis. So people love that. Uh, but if you want to have other blooms indoors mm-hmm. for like like hyacinths yeah. and, and tulips and so forth oh hyacinths yeah let me tell you, you do you, you do have to pre-chill those. i know and it was so the look on these uh people's faces at work um we got our bulbs in the hyacinths and the little forcing jars and all of that right and uh the uh people that work in the statuary fountain department you know they like to have a little bit of plants over there too so they were like, oh, hyacinths, these are going to smell so great. They're breaking them out of the package, getting them already. And they look at me and go, will these be blooming or smelling good in about two weeks? No, I ma'am. went, um, y'all, okay, first they got to go in the refrigerator for six weeks. Mm-hmm. Then it'll maybe take them about four weeks to bloom. And they just stood there like. Did you buy them in kits? Yes. But aren't, aren't those pre-chilled? I don't think so. They should have been. If they come with the glass jar, they should have been pre-chilled and ready to plant. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times they are. I mean, Do you see me getting really happy right yeah. now? Yeah. I mean, because I thought before they weren't, but I guess it depends on how you get them from. Yeah, if you get them in bulk, they're not pre-chilled. Right. You know, uh, you probably could order some pre-chilled. Oh, but. they're going to be so happy when I get to work because I, I for yeah. some reason, I just really believe they did not pre-chill them. Probably did. Yeah, probably did. And then yeah. not yeah. everybody wants to have a, a forced bloom indoors. Uh, but even thinking about outdoors, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's the narcissus, uh, you know, the daffodils, the crocus, the muscaries, the tulips, on down the line. Um, typically, typically, people are planting those around Thanksgiving. You know, if the soil temperatures are cooler, they're going to stay cool. Uh, so that's just a general rule of thumb, a good time to plant all those. But things like lilies and peonies, you can plant those now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Stargazer lilies. Exactly, yeah. all yeah, the I, lilies. Nice. I got in a few things just this past week. Got some uh, a, a dragon lily, the dranunculus, which I just love. Voodoo flowers have a mm-hmm. name for it. Um, and also, I got in uh, some specialty alliums. That it's just nice. something you can't find. I always buy local unless I can't find yeah. it local. Yeah. Um, the only thing I was disappointed in, I ordered um, irises from Brex and got a sixty percent fill rate, and I ordered them like four months in advance. Yeah, uh, which I think is just absolutely unacceptable. But then they were, without a doubt, the smallest. Um, or rhizomes rhizomes that i have ever seen i mean Mm -hmm. you know for what you pay for them you know because all i got was all rebloomers supposedly uh and most all the ones i get i like or have picketty edges uh multicolored so they're they're usually a a tad more expensive but you know when you spend 15 bucks for a plant you expect it to have a little oomph to it yeah and they didn't have any little substance to it yeah you know, so, um, you know, in fact, they were so small that they kept falling over. Uh, so I, I actually got some landscape pins mm-hmm. so, and pinned them down so they would stay where they're at. Yeah, so, that yeah. works well. So the but, landscape pins yeah. are an excellent. You could use a rock, but the landscape pins are way better. Yeah, you can even push it through the corm if you can, if you needed to to hold it in That's place. True. But these these were so small, you know, that they would go between the corm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the two prongs on, right. on landscape pen. And right. then, you know, it's a lot of people. So don't forget the bulbs is my point. And then a lot of people also like to plant them in containers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a great look in the spring also. And, you know, you plant them in a the container just like you would in the ground, except you can put a lot more in a container. You can put them a lot closer together. 
In yeah. fact, that's what you tend to do in a container because you and, want that really pretty showing. And do them in layers, too. You, you so. sure can. You can plant some of them a little deeper, some on top of that, and then some on top of that and have just great-looking containers. So, I mean, there. this is the time of year to start thinking about these uh, these fall bulbs that bloom in the spring. And it's just easy, you know? Mm-hmm. And then they do the last thing, Jim, that we always talk about is planting, especially tulips, uh, in the pansy beds. Uh, yeah. And then in the spring, when they're both in full bloom, there's not a better look out there, I'm just telling you. Now, the mm-hmm. only thing about the bulbs is all of them typically come back pretty well year after year after year, except for the tulips. But we always say there's not a bulb out there that looks like a tulip except other than a tulip, tulip, you know. So, so yeah. many colors, so many. Now there's tulips that have jagged edges yeah, on Yeah, I like the frilled. I really do. do. You? I mm-hmm. like the parrots. Yeah. The unusual ones. Those are kind of cool. Right. Uh, and, and I like uh-huh. the species, like you were talking about, I think the species tulips, the tarta, and some of those little ones. Mm-hmm. And and those I've had come back come for back, a couple right. of years. Yeah. Yeah, but I plant them, I mean, right at the surface because I want them yeah. to get cold. You know, yeah. even I think in Holland they have to dig them and put them and chill them for a while before they replant them back in the field. Because mm-hmm. the only place I think they're actually native to is like lower mountains in Turkey or something. Yeah, you know, oh, where that's the only that... place where they'll come back year after year. Yeah, <laughs> in <laughs> Turkey, low. Wow, but they are fun. They so you know their species tulips. Do they come back a little bit every? You know, but yeah, not, I, I planted yeah. a little, and it's a white and yellow one, and I, think, I can't mm-hmm. remember the name of it. Planted them at my midtown home, yeah. and they came back for a number of years. Right, uh, and they were on the north side, so they got sun in the summertime, mm-hmm. just as the foliage was dying down. But you know, got very little in the spring. And, and most of your hybrids, though, like the Darn hybrids, and you know those, uh, you know, big blooming uh, tulips. You just can't count on those to come back. Right. But there again, they're so inexpensive. You, I mean, you plant them out there, enjoy them in the spring, just treat them like an annual. Yeah. You know? And buy the biggest bulb you can get. Yeah. You're going to get the best flower That's out of That's true. It. That is true. And usually f- to get the larger bulbs, you need to go to garden centers. Is there, we're, we're picking them out because we're connoisseurs. <laughs> we want you to have the biggest and the best. So, um, well, look you for know, the bigger typically bulbs. The, the bulb growers are really good. They don't even offer. Uh, the size bulb that you'll see in a lot of the box stores mm-hmm. to independence yeah. because they don't want them in the first place. All so. right. Yeah, that's true. Okay, we're going to go to another break and um, we'll talk about more gardening when we get back. You're listening to Mid South Gardening. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. If you're having trouble picking us up, y'all can go to themighty990.com and listen live. Um, that will help you a lot. Yes. You, during the When it's dark, we have to crank our power down to not interfere with some Canadian station or something. You know, it's, Isn't that amazing? It is. Once the sun comes up, the power picks up. So, uh, But if you go to kwamradio.com, you can get it, stream it live anywhere in the world, and it 
and you can also see our podcast there to you know listen to past programs good so that's kwmradio.com yeah, yeah that's and easy. then Have, i can do mighty990.com yep take you to the same place yeah yeah uh, my good friend Selby just uh, sent me a note here. Wants to know if we'll talk about planting bare root peonies, both in the ground and in the containers. So yes, we will. Uh, it's a good time to do it. Uh, yeah. First, first thing you want to do is uh, read the books and then disregard everything they say. Okay, <laughs> don't plant them deep. Not here. Okay, the the. That little pip, the top there, where you'll see the leaves are going to come out, needs to be just at or above the soil line, okay? They can get cold as it can be, and it's going to be fine. Uh, just loosen the soil, not all that deep, you know, four to six inches deep, and then, you know, if you can go 18 inches wide, that's good. And then just loosen that soil, put some organic matter in there, and then plant it in there, cover it up, a little mulch on top, and you're good to go. So the biggest thing out of that, though, is good drainage and don't plant them too deep, Don't correct? plant them too deep. Now, peonies yep. don't like root competition from other plants. So, you know, give them their own space. And don't be surprised planting one that you may not get a flower for two, possibly three years. Mm. It's just, it depends on the age of the tuber mm-hmm. uh, that, that you're planting. So, um, but a lot less expensive buying the tubers and getting them buying the plants. Than buying yeah. the plants yeah. themselves, yeah. Because we I mean, used to get Monrovia. Yes, they produce by far the best peony in a container that mm-hmm. I've ever seen. It'll have 10 little growth tips right. in it. But those you typically get in the spring. That's right, mm-hmm. you know, but they're also going to be 40, 50 bucks yeah. a piece. Right. But so, they are so But awesome. they are killer. They really are. Uh, but you, all you're going to see are the kind of standard varieties. When you go to the independents, you'll find some bare roots or some they're planting, and you'll get some more unique and Yeah, uh, I sold some colors. yesterday, some packages of the peonies, the yeah. tubers. Mm-hmm. But uh, so good drainage, um, more sun than shade. More sun and than shade. And don't plant them too deep. And give them their own space. And they'll just be happy as they can be. Now, what a- go. now in containers, same thing holds true. They're very cold hardy. So, again, plant them right at the surface. Um, and then when you know, during the winter time, just once the foliage has died down, you can put them anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. put them up against the house, throw some leaves on them, forget about them. They'll be fine. Uh, you won't have to water them. You won't have to do anything to them. They'll come through just normally fine as long as the rain can get to them. Uh, and then uh, you pull them out in the spring, and they'll probably already have new growth coming off the bottom. All right, now, mm-hmm. what about potential problems? You know, a lot of times we'll see the buds, you know, turn black and fall off. We'll Botrytis, see, yeah. And we'll see the, the foliage turn black. Jim on um, on pennies. Uh, I mean, so there are some things out there. So what what, what do we need to be on the lookout? Well, for? Well, main thing is once it starts to come up, get off get off all your mulch around it. Mm. Nothing that will hold uh, additional fungal spores. There, fungal spores are everywhere. I mean, you're not. But don't make it a haven, though. Right, farm, that's right. right. So just remove everything out from underneath it and keep a close eye on them. If you begin to see some blackening, that's botrytis. Uh, light and it's it's fairly easy to control, but it's easier to control than to cure. So you know, go to a local garden center, get you a, a good uh, liquid I, copper or whatever. Yeah, know. if you want something natural, liquid copper, uh, Dacanil, even uh, 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 soil sulfur, mm-hmm. dusting them with that will help. Um, so there's a number of control products, bo- both 
organic or um, otherwise that will work. Okay. But but we do, and a lot of times after a wet spring, yeah. you know, we'll see some of that on pennies. So just be on the lookout for that. Now, what about as far as pH? It, you know, even though I've heard they are pH adaptive, uh, they'll, you know, kind of adapt mm-hmm. wherever they are. Uh, the ideal would be in the 6568. Right. Okay, that's, that's kind of perfect. But they'll bloom and do fine even below 6. So, like I said, they're very tough, but they would prefer a closer to neutral, just slightly acidic Mm -hmm. soil. Talking about peonies is giving me spring fever. (laughs) (laughs) And they are beautiful when they bloom. They are. I've got got some gorgeous ones, and I grow a lot of Etos. And then a lot of people will complain in the spring when they're blooming. um, What about the ants that you see that are synonymous with peonies? Okay. There's this rumor floating (laughs) around that the buds won't open if the ants are aren't there. It's the other yeah. way. Yeah, it's the answer there because that bud secretes a very sweet, sappy stuff. And they come to feed on it. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you, growers have no ants and they grow them and they flower them and they do it all the time. <laughs> yeah, right. so that rumor, right. don't worry about having ants on there or yes. they're not going to bloom for you. It's an absolute wives' tale. Yeah. I don't know if we should use wives' tale anymore. Oh, right. Can you yeah. say Unwise that? Tale. Can, can we it's say birthing they, person tale? Or they tell? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That don't work either. Oh, so, yeah, and I have heard on milkweed and peonies that the whole thing was it eats on the uh, surrounding part that's keeping the uh, bloom from opening. At the, wait, what am I saying? Tell me what I'm saying. The, the, yeah. the sheath area. Yeah, the sheath of the, yeah. the outer part of the, the bloom that the ants are actually, when they're getting this uh, secretion the off, honeydew or whatever. that they're helping it open which faster. Is, which is not Maybe the case. Maybe it's faster because they're taking off some of the uh, foliage, I guess. Boulder carb. Yep. The boulder carb, is that boulder what it's carb. called? Yeah, boulder which carb. means absolute nonsense. <laughs> oh, I'm going, oh, wow, that, that outside's called boulder carb? No, nonsense. Um, what? <laughs> I haven't seen that one in the books. But that's the reason but we that bought this the up. Thing. They were saying it helps it bloom better. It does. No. Well, and that's the reason we bought it up, because a lot of times, you know, they'll go out there and they'll cut their pennies in the spring, and you do see the ants on there. A lot of people freak out because that there are ants on there. It's not uncommon to mm-hmm. see ants on pennies running up and down yeah. the stem. We get the same because of that. Same question about around candlestick trees because they they mm-hmm. very similar. The flower buds before they open at mm-hmm. the top are very sweet, and that's where most you'll see most of the bees. They're trying to pry open those unopened flowers yeah. to get in center because that's the sweetest stuff. Yeah. Once the flowers open, they're really not all that interested. If they want to get in there, so you'll see flies mm-hmm. and ants all over the top of them. Yeah. But you know they're attracted because there is that sweet stuff there. Right, right. Yeah, and I did read about the milkweed bug though that it helps the uh, seeds to come out sooner to pollinate. Oh, now there are some beneficial insects that have a synonymous relationship mm-hmm. with a plant, yeah, and you got to have both of them to get. You know, the bloom, but not in this case, though. Well, unfortunately, it's time for us to go, but I'm going to go run out and play in my garden. I know, play in in the garden. And let me say this Somebody's garden. And and Mary just texted in. She said, Saturday routine, gardening show, then football. And remember, it's going to get cold this next week, so watch the temperatures wherever you are. Appreciate all our affiliates joining in. We'll see you next week.